We're going to look at this passage in 2 Timothy 3 and 4 tonight under the title, The Bible's Power. And tonight's sermon is a one-off. I was trying to think what I would do tonight. And uh, this passage we're looking at tonight, in many ways, it's a great preacher's passage. It's a passage that preachers really enjoy because it talks about the work of preaching. But I thought it would be a, a passage that would, should really encourage us, all who teach God's Word, as we look towards our winter's work. And so that's the purpose of it. And just remind you that next week, I will be starting a series in the book of Hebrews, The Incomparable Christ, and Mark will be looking at Hebrews 1 next week. So I encourage you to come along for that. But tonight we're going to look at the, the Bible's power. But the first thing as we look in chapter 3 here is the environment for the Word. We're going to look at the situation that God's Word has to go out into. And the first thing we see about this environment is godlessness in verses 1 to 4. The description there is terrible. It says in verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I think Paul saw that in the days that he lived in, the last days, which are spoken of here. It's generally accepted to be the time from Jesus' first coming to his second coming. So Paul lived in the last days, and we live in the last days now. And I think Paul was looking at society around him, and this is what he saw. And this is the difficult society of this godlessness that we have to bring God's Word into. We're not bringing it into easy ground. I remember talking to a minister one day coming out of Antrim Hospital, and just we're sharing how the work was going, and he says to me, you know, I feel as if I'm plowing on concrete. Uh, it's so hard. And the environment where it's to share the gospel, it's not easy because of this godlessness, which is increasing in the days that we live in. But also we see there's falsehood in verses 5 to 7. Verse 5 saying, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Speaking of people who outwardly look okay, look religious and good, but don't have the power of the gospel, don't have the power of Christ in their lives. And we see that these are people that are to be avoided. And I think this is a scary verse uh, because we outwardly can look like a Christian outwardly do the things that Christians do, but still could be missing the very power of Christ within our souls. That's a challenge for us. Do you know the power of godliness within? Do you know the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life? You're not a Christian by coming to church. You're not a Christian by reading the Bible or praying, as good as those things are. You need to be born again, knowing the power of Christ within. And then we see the opposition in verses 8 to 13. It speaks about Janes and Jambres who oppose Moses there in verse 8. And then he goes on in verse 11, talks about the opposition that he, Paul, faced at Antioch, at Iconium, and Elystra. You can read that in the book of Acts and how he was stoned even in that situation. And so he's saying this, that the gospel has to go out into a situation where there will be opposition. Moses faced opposition. Paul faced opposition. 
Timothy would face opposition, and so will we face opposition. Look at verse 12. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, this is the environment we have to share the gospel with, to share the Word of God in, where there's godlessness, falsehood, opposition. Now, the summary of this environment is very depressing. It's very discouraging in one sense. But on the other hand, I think it's quite encouraging because sometimes as we look at the, the growing godlessness in society around us and we think of the moral sort of chains and people a little time for church, and we're thinking we're facing a situation that's never been faced before. But as you look at these verses, you realize that Paul knew a situation which was as bad and probably a lot worse than what we know today. And Paul was able to have a ministry ensuring the Word of God that flourished and the church grew in a situation that was so hostile to the Word. And if Paul was able to do it by God's grace in his day, we can do it in our day. And so we're not to look at a, a godless world around us. We're not to look at godless people around us and godless people we maybe work with and mix with and think there's no hope for the gospel. The Word of God is able to flourish in the challenging days that we live in. And we need to have that confidence. This brings us to our second point, which is the importance of the Word in verses 14 to 17. The only answer to a world of godlessness is the Word of God. Look there in verse 14, Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy was plucked out of a godless world, out of a very hostile society to the gospel, through the power of the Word of God. The Word brought him to Jesus and to a saving faith in Christ. And so it is the Word of God that is able to rescue people in this godless society. Now, the reason the Word can do this is because of what the Word is. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. In Genesis 1, God breathed out the Word, and the world was formed. God just spoke this universe into existence. He spoke the, the sun, the moon, the stars into existence. He spoke all of earth into existence, all the vegetation and all the animals. He spoke. He breathed out those words, and it came into existence. And the same power is in the Word of God that we have before us. The Word of God in creation is also the Word of God in recreation, in seeing people born again. We think of how, indeed, Peter talks about how people are born again by the imperishable Word of God. We need to have confidence in this Word and what this Word is able to do when we let this Word loose. I, I love 
a quote from Spurgeon about how he would defend the Word of God. He says, I defend the Word of God in the same way I would defend a lion. I would let it loose. I love this story about Martin Lloyd-Jones as a young boy. And in his school, they were going over the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And the question was asked, why did Jesus call Lazarus by name? And Lloyd-Jones says, well, if he didn't, all the dead would have got up and, and risen and come to him. An awareness of the power of God. Jesus just spoke, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus today speaks to people who are dead in their sin and says, come forth. And they come forth. There is, there is no one. You think of the worst person you know. There is no one who cannot be transformed by the Word of God when it's let loose. And the Spirit breathes upon it. There's no society, there's no community that cannot be changed by the Word of God as it's let loose. But let's remember, if the Word of God's going to be let loose out there, it needs first to be let loose in our own hearts and in our churches. The Word of God is not just for the beginning of the Christian life. It's not just a, a book of text for evangelistic preaching. It is there for sustaining every part of the Christian life. Look what Paul says in verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is our gym. This is our training ground in order to be fit and strong and to be able to serve the Lord. How are we going to be fit and strong to do the Lord's work in this winter time that's coming in? It's the Word of God. More and more as the Word of God gets in our hearts and lives, and the more the Word gets within us, the more we will be ready to serve the Lord. Through the Word of God, the, the resources of Christ, the very bread of life comes to us. The Christ who is the water of life comes to us through the Word. How much of the Word of God do you need in your heart and life day by day and week by week? I don't know if there's the right way to think about this, but I, it's the way I think about it. I think there's a certain amount of the Word that have you received, you'll, you'll stand still in your Christian life. And if you take less than that of the Word, you'll go backwards. But so often the problem is people are just at that point, that tipping point. We need to go beyond that tipping point. We need more of the Word. You think of how revival came in 1859. Is that way expression, a little bit more for Jesus? What about a little bit more of the Word? A little bit more of the Word to take us deeper and to make us stronger for Christ. So we have the environment for the Word. We have the importance of the Word. It alone can pluck people out of a godless society. It alone can sustain us in a godless society. Listen, if we are hearing the voice of the world, we need to hear more the voice of God's Word. 
we're here in the world more, it will be molding and shaping us. We need the Word to mold and to shape us more. And this brings us then to our third point, which is the urgency of the Word, going into chapter 4. Here in verse 1, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. This isn't a wee idea that Paul is sharing with Timothy here. It's not you can take it or leave it. It's a voice of command. I charge you. And I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. You need to take this seriously. And I charge you tonight in the name of Jesus, you need to take this seriously. You need to take the Word of God seriously in your life. That's God's command for you. Take the Word seriously. And then you'll be able to share this Word. This is urgent because he says you are to share it in the presence of Christ who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom. This just reminds me of that phrase. I'm sure you've heard it many a time. I think it was first attributed to Richard Baxter. We preach as dying men to dying men. We are to share God's Word as dying women to dying women and so forth. We need to realize what we're involved in is plucking brands from the fire. People who the the smell of hell's fire and smoke is ready around their clothing. They're going there. They're heading there. And their only hope is that they're plucked from there and they need the Word of God to enter their lives for that to happen. There has to be an urgency in this. I think of the story of, of D.L. Moody, my namesake. And D.L. Moody... One Sunday, it was his habit of calling people to the front to come to Christ. And one Sunday, he didn't do it. And that week, it was the great Chicago fire in which thousands perished, including many who had been at his meeting. I'm not advocating altar calls, but we always have to call people to come to Christ. We have to say to people, this is urgent, this is important, this is what you have to do now before you stand before the judgment seat. Dear Christian folk, if we are not going to bring the Word of God and the gospel of Christ to the people that we live among, work among, study among, if we are not going to bring the Word to them, who will? Who will? We need to be urgent. Notice what Paul says there here in verse 2. Be ready in season and out of season. I think what he's talking about here is that people have a mindset, I'll wait for a, a better time. I'll wait for a, a more convenient time. Now, there are times we have to be wise in what we say and how we share. And there there are times where we have to abide our time. 
But that should never be an excuse for not doing what we should do. I am convinced that the devil's one of his greatest weapons is procrastination. Getting people to put off to tomorrow what we should do today. It's not the right time. Tomorrow, it's not the right time. The next day, it's not the right time. To invite that person along to a meeting, to the church, it's not the right time. To have we word for Christ, it's not the right time. And he'll do it until our opportunity to share the word and to witness is gone. Be ready in season and out of season. I love the story as a man, I think it was William Burridge, who was accused of preaching, I think he was doing open-air preaching, and he was brought in front of the bishop, and uh, he said, listen, I'm told that you preach all the time. Oh, he says, no, I only preach two times, in season and out of season. Do you get up in the morning? Do you pray that God will give you opportunity to share the gospel with folk? Do you pray that when you go into your workplace, go into your classroom, that God will give you an opportunity and the strength and grace to be a witness? That should be our daily prayer. Don't put it off. People need the gospel now. And then the fourth and final thing we see here is the faithfulness to the Word in verses 2 to 8. Paul says in verse 2, preach the Word. He doesn't say preach about it. He doesn't say include it sometimes in your talk. He's saying to Timothy, this is your bread and butter. This is your work. This is your task. Preach the Word. Let that Word loose in people's lives. In understanding what preaching is, I think the best advice I've ever heard was from John MacArthur, when he says, preaching is reading the text, explaining the text, applying the text. Read it, explain it, apply it. And you know, sometimes when I I'm struggling, maybe a sermon coming together. I just go back to it, this, that teaching. Read it, explain it, apply it. Sunday school teachers, BB and GB leaders, that should be your task. Read it, explain it, apply it. We need to be careful of a number of mistakes that we can make. I think we need to be careful of trampoline preaching where people jump onto the tax and bounce off it in every direction. And they don't really deal with the tax. They don't really deal with what's in front of them. If you're teaching God's Word, take time to just look at the Word. Sometimes it's good even to write it out sentence by sentence and share some thoughts for yourself. Just get into the Word. Teach the Word. That's where the power is. It's in the Word. Another, I think, mistake we can make 
is too much sauce. What is William meaning here? Now, if I have a nice big piece of meat or a bit of steak, I like some sauce. Uh, if you give me steak, pepper sauce, a nice big beef burger, I like a bit of ketchup on it. And a bit of sauce is very good and helpful and just can make it a wee bit more pleasant. And when it comes to preaching, there's time for a bit of sauce. And a bit of sauce in preaching will be illustrations and ways to, to make the, the passage come alive and to bring out the goodness of the passage more and more. Spurgeon spoke of wee illustrations like windows to let the light in to the passage. But there is a danger that there can be too much sauce. That he just talks all and all about stories and illustrations, and you don't really get into the Word. I remember a man who was from a missionary organization. Uh, he's not somebody who's from around here, so don't try and guess. But uh, I remember him speaking about a, one Sunday in church and listening to him. And somebody came to me afterwards and said, it was not brilliant. And I says, listen, can I ask you two questions? And he says, yeah. Well, I says, first question is, what did you learn about his missionary organization? He says, well, actually, not very much. I says, what did you learn from the Word of God? He says, well, really nothing. It was very entertaining. It was full of stories. There was a lot of sauce. But there wasn't the substance. You see, it's the Word of God. It's not our wisdom. It's not our clever stories. It's the Word of God that makes people wise for salvation. It's the Word of God that trains people in godliness. It's the Word of God that comforts people in their trial. Yes, there's a place for illustration. Yes, there's a place for some sauce. But don't let it hide the Word. We must trust the Word and not our cleverness. In preaching, we're called in verse 2 to do three things here. We're called to reprove, first of all. I think reprove here means to convince people and to convince people where they're wrong. It's about putting good arguments from God's Word to people. Secondly, we are to rebuke. We're to chastise people where they're wrong from the Word. You can't teach the Word of God unless you're willing to do that and do it humbly. But then we are to exhort. This is the word which means to encourage, to draw alongside people, to encourage them to leave their sinful ways and to go to Christ and to go on with Christ. So we're to use the Word to convince people where they're wrong, to rebuke them and say, listen, you can't keep doing that, and to lead them in the right path. And you notice here he says that this is to be done with complete patience and teaching. A lot of us here have, would know the name, the Reverend John Joe Rainey. Uh, I wonder why there's never been a book written about him. Uh, probably many of his stories have grown over the years. But a, a friend of mine, uh, when he was a, a friend of mine, he's a bit older than me, 
when he was going to his first charge as a minister, he was going to a church where there hadn't been a, an evangelical uh, witness for generations. This is what John Joe, who was known to be pretty abrupt, uh, this is what John Joe said to him. Don't scold them. Teach them because they don't know any better. Notice there, we need that patience. Teach them with patience, Paul says here. This faithfulness to the Word, it's something will be tested. Look what he says in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What we have to share in church, what we have to share to our community is often not what they want to hear. But our calling is not to change the message. Our calling is not to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Our calling is to faithfully share the truth. And Paul, if you look there from verse 5, he just gives this closing encouragement to keep doing this. He says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is what is to keep us going. On the day of judgment, to hear the Lord say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. As we stand with the redeemed and to look around, and there among the redeemed is that little tearaway who was in my Sunday school class who never seemed to listen, but I persevered. Or there was that boy that was in the BB who was so much trouble, but I persevered. There is that person in that home who I go into, and often they were cold with me as I went as an elder, but I persevered. In God's time, He brought them. Fight the good fight. Run the race. Persevere. Persevere in the work.